When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So as we know, a lot can happen in tennis in just a matter of days. And uh, congratulations, Serena Williams, who revealed the expansion of her family at, I believe, the Met Gala. Yes, she is uh, expecting her second. I think they said that it was a, a long time coming for a big sister <laughs> Olympia. Sounded like uh, she'd been wanting a sibling. It's something that Serena talked about um, when she sort of stepped away again in that that was a, a goal of hers. So huge congratulations. It's always nice when that works out because uh, it's not always the easiest of journey for people. So delighted. And she talked about that a little bit in the article she did about it's not always that straightforward to look to expand your family and she wanted to. And then there were some pictures of her uh, on a tennis court and people thought, is she coming back? Is the, is the return back on? Because she kind of said, never say never. Uh, look, maybe it will still be after she's had her second. But but as you know, recently, I mean, I'm quite lucky. I got mine done together, twins at once. I don't remember the first couple of years, but it was at once. As you know, from having staggered siblings, it's uh, it, it's a little bit more work, isn't it? Yeah, you've got different stages to manage. We were in the depths of potty training this weekend. Oh, and, uh, oh, oh. So, um, yes, it's a, it's a little bit different. I mean, I suppose one element is easier because you've got two at the same stage, but there's pros and cons to every situation really, isn't there, when it comes to that sort of thing. So, you know, I think Olympia's much uh, older than, say, my oldest one is. So, um, yeah, she'll be, uh, she could babysit, really. <laughs> Extra childcare. Not to go down the potty training route, but, and I know as you say, some things are easier when you've got two because you're doing it at once. But when it comes to, when it comes to potty training, having two at once was, I think it's a part of my life that I've tried to block out. But having two children potty training, you know, some people say, do it in the summer. Just take everything off and let them go around the house and see what happens. Oh, my word. As I say, I think I've blocked a large part of that out because you think, oh, yeah, I'm just going to get it done at once. Two at once, off we go. It was, oh, it, oh. I mean, I don't know how it's you've been like with one, but, oh, it's just, it's not good, is it? Yeah, I mean, that's sort <laughs> of the, the, the way to approach it, though, isn't it? Just... Yeah, just whip it all off, see how it goes. At least the weather was nice this weekend, so we spent a lot of time outside, so that was good. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was large, largely successful. Um, but, yeah, you've just got to be just so on it. I mean, that's the trouble. You've got to accept it. Yeah. You've got to yeah. accept it's not going to be It's not going to be fun. No. It's not going to be pleasant. But the, the, the when you come out the other side, it's going to be a lot better. Yes. Right? Uh, well, I mean, changing nappies isn't fun. No, it's no. So I think you've just, it's actually, um, it's actually interesting. I've been spending time recently with our friend Naomi Brody, who had twins in December last year. Yes. And um, she's been staying near me while she's been doing some work recently. And it's been wonderful to go off and see the little ones. But also, you forget all that stuff. You know, when you're in there, I, I, I kept getting like flashbacks. 
you know, flashbacks to two babies maybe crying at the same time or suddenly needing to be fed or this. I think it's a period. Someone said it's like with twins, it's like a fog for the first couple of years. And it's been really lovely, but also I've been like, whoa. And you get that feeling at the end when you, you can hand them back. You yeah. Can say, oh, that's lovely. They're lovely. Bye. So much nicer. <laughs> do, do they want their mum? They want their mum. I think they want their mum. Bye. Um, so, so that's been lovely. Spending time with Naomi. She's back doing some commentary, which is great. And again, it's that joke. And I know we can't compare our juggle to Serena Williams's juggle because she has a lot of help. She has the infrastructure, everything like that. But that it's real, isn't it? It's it's that juggle of of wanting. I know you you've done a little bit of work. You're coming back to it later, but. I don't know whether you're, and I know Naomi's going to be looking to play again, so whether you're getting yourself back physically, mentally, it's it's a bit of a juggle because life is very different. Logistics, that's what parenting oh, is. It's yeah. just logistics. The rest of it's yeah. sort of all right. But yeah, logistics of pickups and who's doing this and work and, and all sorts and childcare. It's just... Uh, yeah, that's that's what I think. Really, that's what most of my energy energy goes into. And with two, it's just extra logistics. But you're organised. You're really organised. Oh, you yeah. are. Not sure you are. my husband would agree with that. <laughs> you. Uh, I'm going to send you after this um, a picture of what I have on my fridge. It's like a calendar with, as you say, pickups and drop offs and clubs and things that I forget and other things that need to be on there and all this kind of stuff that no one looks at apart from me. It's all there. No one looks at it, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, I'm kind of building up to going away for some work and I'm I'm starting to put my plans in place. But, you know, people have done it before, they will do it again. And congratulations to Serena Williams, family going to get bigger. Um, in terms of what's going on at the moment, and a lot has happened, I didn't really know where to start. I'm just going to, let's start with Emma Raducanu. Okay. I want to, okay. I know it's, it's, it's been a while now since there was the press conference that, a lot of people talked about, I think, what was it? 68 words in... 58. 58. Oh, I gave her 10 more. <laughs> uh, 58 in a very short space of time. And it's not what people have been used to because she has come in and been chatty and talk. Then hours before her first round match in Madrid, she withdrew. So are we concluding, are we putting together that that press conference was a result of the fact that she knew she probably wouldn't be taken to the court? Yeah, and she knew she'd be falling out of the top 100 and she knew that there'd be plenty of questions that that come with that. Um, yeah, the difficulty is, is that, you know, it doesn't seem like such a big deal. You know, I think for, for people, you know, who are outside of the, the professional tennis world, you think, OK, she does interviews all the time, right? You do, you, you do press conferences after every match, you do pre-tournament interviews, like she's doing lots and lots of media stuff all the time and um, a lot of it obligated. And okay, for once, yeah, she was pretty arsy, obviously didn't want to be there. You can sort of go, yeah, I mean, who, who doesn't have a day like that where, where they just yeah. like, I just do not want to deal with this today. And so you can sort of understand it. The trouble is, is that the the people, if you stonewall them like that, they are the people writing the articles and they take it very personally, especially because they travel to the tournaments because of you. and that's And their job is to get 
uh, interesting information from you and colour and to be able to write a story and ideally a positive story. That's what they want. They follow Emma all year round. They want it all to be good and positive and to be able to build on it and to get people really excited with Wimbledon coming up as well in the country. And the British journalists, yeah, were not happy when, you know, they've made the trip, they've travelled to Stuttgart, they've told their bosses like, yeah, you know, I've got to go there, I've got to talk to her because one-on-one I can get more um, interesting stuff for people and then you get that I can understand why it's very frustrating but but, but then know, at the same time like it's a one-off it's not like she's doing it all the time I have sat in one of those press conferences though which was Riley Opelka at Davis Cup a couple years ago uh, and it was uh, I mean it was a it was it was really uncomfortable. It was really shocking. And he came in and, as I say, just Stonewall, just one word answers. I think I think his was even worse. It was like fourteen words oh. in his press conference, and oh. I was sat at the back of it. And then obviously he walks out, and then I can hear the frustration and you know the annoyance of all of the journalists who were there, and they're like, "We're we're trying to talk to you. We're trying to get something out of you here. We you know we." It's it's difficult because there is this media ecosystem. Well, there's a whole ecosystem when it comes to being a professional tennis player. The media play a huge and pivotal role in that. People within the media and the the press, I think, predominantly overestimate their role in it all. And I think the players really underestimate their role in it all. So you do get quite a lot of friction because I do find sometimes, you know, the press say, well, you know, they're making all these millions because of us and it, it's not necessarily the case and as much as a bit of promotion is good it's not um and with and sometimes the players they are quite they can be disrespectful and a bit like whatever you just write your articles and and there's going to be you know things that are wrong and you know assumptions that are made that have no verification all that sort of stuff and uh you know they're just going to think oh well what are they doing and then as i say you get a bit of a clash like that so i think if the press could bring down their estimations of themselves and if the players could bump it up a little bit and (laughs) recognize they're important then we'd have a really happy ecosystem working in harmony but to be fair, they probably got a better story with the 58 words or a, a, a more read and a more widespread. Well, yes, but it's not the story that they want because and this is something that that players do fail to understand, I think, a lot because there is criticism that comes their way from these journalists. But ultimately, they do want to write positive pieces. They yep. want they want Emma to be the darling. That's what they want. They want fans. They want people to be obsessed with reading about Emma because it gives them more work. <laughs> That's their job. She's our current superstar, alongside Andy Murray, of course. But she is the superstar. She may not be the British number one, but that that's it. She's our most recent Grand Slam champion. But then, but then in terms of what sells, it's it's what came out of that 58 words. I bumped into a couple of people on the street. They said, oh, did you see that press conference? She only said 58 words and other people were talking about it and lots of people reading about it. So I'm not saying it, it was the right thing to have happened. But in terms of, yes, they want to write a nice positive piece about her, trying to keep her place, defend some points in Madrid, stay in the top 100. But what they got is something that was probably read by more people, which, no, it doesn't reflect well on either party, I don't really think because you've got it doesn't really reflect well on on Emma Raducanu, who's obviously having a bad day dealing with injury, and then the press came in for a little bit of criticism, which was I think unfair to a point when people were saying, well, why were they asking her these questions? They were always going to ask her these questions. They were always going to go in and ask her questions, and having to face a question about dropping out of the top one hundred because that was going to be and has become a reality. There was the question about Jodie Burridge, which. 
it's wonderful to see Jodie doing so well. I think she's, what, 108 now, and Radhikan is currently around 102, saying, you're going to lose your British number one spot to her. How do you feel about how she's doing? I mean, which of us want to be asked about, hey, Naomi, there's someone who's just about to overtake you, and how do you feel about that? It's it, it's difficult, isn't it? But it, these questions were going to be asked anyway it just so happened that due to the answers it became it became it became a talking point yeah absolutely i mean i think from the press's perspective it's a bit more short term you get a bit of a hit and as i say people did enjoy i think that story and talking about it i i agree i had loads of people saying you know asking me about it and being what's wrong with her you know what's because that's yeah. all they've seen um but you know i don't know it, it's difficult isn't it because the press you know, they're, they're, they're asking questions about facts. But as we saw a few years ago with Johanna Conta, sometimes players just do not want to be reminded of the facts. And if you are just about to go into your first round in Madrid, do you want to be told, if it was completely up to you and you didn't have any press obligations, would you want your coach telling you, would you want people around you saying to you, you might fall out of the top 100 if you don't defend these points, knowing yeah, that you've yeah. got Igor Siontek in the second round if you even win the first round? Like, that's where it can be really difficult for players. And I know a lot of players don't like to know who they're playing later on in the draw. And they get told before they've even played a match in a tournament, oh, you've got a, like with Emma, you've got a potential second round meeting with Igor Shontek. How do you feel about that? And they're like, well, I haven't won my first match yet. And they don't want to know that. They don't want to be reminded of it. They want to be in their own bubble and just take it one point at a time and all of those cliches. And the press, going into those press conferences, it just reminds you of all of the facts of the yeah. bigger picture and especially if you're having a hard time the big picture is that you're having a hard rubbish time and what you want to try and do if you're going into a tournament is to try and focus on the positives right it's such a standard psych psychological thing to do focus on the positives i know you feel terrible you feel like crap but let's focus on these elements and then you've got to go and sit there and hear about all of the negative elements from a bunch of people that you know, it's not like you hang out with them, is it? <laughs> you probably don't <laughs> like them. And yeah, I can totally understand. It's really, really frustrating. Um, and I don't think the press quite understand that because they just go, we're just stating facts. And it's like, well, do you know what? Sometimes facts are really annoying. <laughs> They're really <laughs> bloody annoying. Sometimes, And I wish they weren't true. Sometimes I don't want to hear them. And, and look, normally it rumbles along nicely. They know they have the obligation to do the press conferences, the press go in there, et cetera, et cetera. And she was having a bad day, quite possibly highly likely linked to the fact that she knew she probably wasn't even going to step on court because of the injury and therefore she would drop out the top 100. And... I think with Emma Rekha, the difficult thing is, well, we've talked about this with tennis players. You you do everything in the spotlight. You come back from injury in the spotlight. You deal with problems in the spotlight. You can't get away from it. She's also got the 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 deals, the sponsorships, and she's having to do things for other people. So people will say, well, I just saw her wearing diamonds dancing in an advert for whoever. Yes, because that's part of a contract she signed. So that's obligations that she has to do. It doesn't reflect at all on on the tennis side of things yes you've got to get a balance between what you're doing but it's difficult because you're living it in the spotlight everything you're doing uh, especially due to her meteoric rise and what she achieved and what she achieved we might never see again coming through qualifying not dropping a set winning a grand slam title at her age is truly astonishing and I think we keep having to remember that even if he doesn't win another grand slam again she has done something that we may not see again in our lifetime and it's it's just difficult, isn't it? it? It's difficult, especially when her body, whether it's physical, mental, a combination of the two, isn't playing ball 
as she would like it to do. And and as you say, there's a group of press that that follow her around. That's part of their job. It's it's part of the reason they are being sent to tournaments because Emma Khan is there and, and Andy Murray's there. And uh, it's a, uh, I know, you know, the, the bumping up and bumping down you mentioned, I'm not sure we'll ever get the right bump in the right direction. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah we'll keep working i don't know we'll it's, i think from from emma's perspective I, i'm sure I, I imagine as a player the most frustrating thing is the injury situation yeah. it's yet another setback and the thing is is i think we've talked about this before is that it can be uh i wouldn't say straightforward but it's easier to recover from your first significant injury or you know, you can have a certain amount of niggles, but there's sort of this this compounding of time not competing. Yeah. And we see that, I think, um, with somebody like uh, Bianca Andreescu, for example, uh, she came back from her first significant injury like nothing had ever happened. She just came back and started winning. Um, but then coming back from her second injury, it was harder and then it's been the th- I think we're on the third significant injury now she's coming back from and she is coming back but it's taking much much longer because the blocks of time you're having off are compounding now they're significant injuries and Emma's had uh, minor injuries some niggles I suppose you would call them but it's just another week that she doesn't get to be out on court mm. competing and and you do you slip further and further obviously the ranking slips but that's by the by she won a slam when she was ranked outside 100 you know she could do it again but you know, it's just your confidence and your level, your, you know, it, it's slipping all the time and everybody else is pushing forward as well. So there's a double, there's a double whammy there. So it, it just does become harder and harder every opportunity that you're not able to compete for. It's just, it's just so much harder to come back in the end. And as I say, when you're young, you can come back from your first injury, no problem. You can do your rehab this, you know, I think she tolerated the injuries quite well to begin with. But, you know, she's so inexperienced, even though she's a Grand Slam champion. And, you know, every week that she doesn't get to compete, it's just another week without the experience. And the problem is, is if you're not winning tournaments, if you're not going deep, you're not getting many matches. So she is getting one or two matches at each tournament that she's able to compete in. And, you know, that's not very many. So you need to get quite a lot of tournaments in a row to try and build anything in terms of sort of momentum and developing your game and learning, which she needs to do because, you know, she 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 doesn't play like a top 10 player, you know, since the US Open. She hasn't. Um, and, uh, you know, so that's where it becomes becomes re- really difficult. So I think she's just in a really tough spot at the moment because there's no way she could just switch it on again i just i just don't see it i mean maybe i'll be proved wrong and she'll go and win wimbledon who knows but it's tough would you suggest to her don't worry about the clay just come back for the grass you know is it is it worth coming back and putting her body through the rigors of the clay to or would you just say because it's coming up to that it's coming up to silly season for for brits in the uk (laughs) would that be something you would suggest or because she hasn't had enough matches would it be no as soon as you're fit whatever surface it is you've got to get out there and get some matches look it it really depends um i think on the mindset of emma right now i think if that if she really is feeling pretty negative about it all then maybe that's a good way to go um i think that is a a short-term solution and she might feel better for this year, which could have a huge value because that could then propel her on to do better. But really, her body needs to go through the rigours of life on tour and playing week in, week out and playing back-to-back matches. 
and losing and and having to train and um because you need to learn what works for you you need to it's trial and error you know i mean people have such completely different training regimes between them all it's even at the top of the top of the sport you've got you know roger federer who it seems like he just does like 20 minutes here and there and everything's been fine i mean obviously not now but in his life as opposed to rafael nadal who's you know just going to be doing every hour under the sun he possibly could um and uh you know that everybody does it really differently so she's got to figure out what works for her um, it seems like it's definitely not high volume. <laughs> definitely the body can't <laughs> deal with that. Any sort of volume she's really struggling with. But yeah, how do you how do you progress when you can't compete? You, you mm, can't progress. Tough, you can only it? go backwards. And this is a long time that she has not been able to compete consistently for. And it's such a shame because we were starting to see it building, but it can only build with momentum. You cannot just play. That's why there is not a single player, even somebody... Well. Okay, Serena maybe in her prime, but there is not a player on tour who has decided that, okay, they're just going to play once every couple of months because why not? Like, I'll just play once every couple of months and yeah, I'll just play hard, and see how it? I do, whatever. You you know, Kyrgios maybe tried to do that, but he obviously didn't play at his best level. Um, he could for a match and he took out some big names, but. You know, he wasn't playing a full schedule. And then lo and behold, he plays a full schedule last year um, and he makes the final of a slam and yeah. he plays phenomenally well. So, you know, that, that's what I'm saying. Even the skill level of Kyrgios. And you could put Emma in a similar category of winning a slam in the way that she did. But even he could not uh, really do anything serious in the world of tennis when he wasn't playing like that. Now, it might be a choice. It might be because of injury. It doesn't really matter. You're not on court and that's that. It's interestingly linking it to snooker randomly. Luca Brassel from Belgium just won the World Snooker Championships at the Crucible in the UK. And what everyone was talking about was he was partying in between matches before he had his pint of beer with him in there. And, and in the interview at the end, they said, and your way of doing it was partying. He went, yeah, partied. He'd never before this year got, I think, past the first round. He's 28 years of age. And I think he just, he, every, different things work for different people. But for him, he was just, yeah, I just party, went out with my friends. And now he's had this life, life-changing win. Uh, sorry to randomly jump to snooker. Um, no, but that'll, that'll work for a, a time, but it, that, that doesn't lead to consistent long -term, results. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and you can you can have a one-off. Like I said with Kyrgios, you know, you'd have these one-off phenomenal matches, but to do anything consistently and even to get to the position where he was playing against those players, you know, it, it, the way that he went about it was just never going to happen. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I tell you, it was really nice to see the level that Dominic team showed against Stefano Tsitsipas. Now, Tsitsipas came through in three in Madrid. There were some nice words between the two at the net because that has been 
he never really had that much time to enjoy his US Open win Dominic team. And he talked about it. It was a little bit the sort of mental aspect of, wow, look what I've done now. Everyone thought it would be Roland Garros, the first major. It came at the US Open and then the physical and the body broke down. And it's felt like he's had to start again mentally and physically build himself up. And it was, there's still a way to go. But wasn't it, wasn't it nice to see that team and, and, and that level he was playing against Sitsipas. Yeah, so Dominic team's a fascinating one and it's a bit different because he's done the grind. He's yep. done the work and he's got himself to the position and he got himself to the level where I don't think having layoffs would impact him as much um, in terms of the level that he could produce coming back to the court. Now, he's slightly different because he's had to change his technique. So that's obviously a massive problem for him on his biggest weapon. So yeah. that's, and it's a significant change as well. So that's where he does have to rebuild. And then I think also maybe it's sort of, you know, bit him in the bum a bit. The fact that he had played so much, so consistently, because I think mentally having a long break and having to rehab was probably going to be more difficult for somebody like team uh, than it would be for some other other players um but it's uh it's been pretty pretty brutal for him hasn't it and uh i think that he can get back to the level you know he has banked that those, those weeks and hours and and all of those titles and finals and matches and and everything it's it's all still there but it's just going to take a lot longer to find it again um, because it wasn't like he was a sensation. He was just a top quality world-class player who did manage to win a Grand Slam. But yeah, it's just, um, it, it is rough, but it, it's, it's slowly building. It's just really slow. You know, I think about last year and how much he progressed through the yeah. year. It's, it is just getting better and better and better. But yeah, it's just, just slow. It's tough. Now, this probably doesn't keep you awake at night. That's more likely to be a little one waking up, alerting you to the fact that they need something. But how worried are you or not about the Coco Goff forehand? Well, I think worried is probably the wrong wrong way to describe it because, you know, she's, you know, she's currently ranked number six in the world, I think. Couple of no, she's, look, she's been to a Grand Slam final. It's not, but it, it, mental or physical, it, it, it's the area that everyone is honing in on, and it's the area where people are getting results on. It's just, is it, is it a bit sabalenkery? Is it, is it kind of blockage? Is it, is it technical? Is it, is it, is it mental? It's not a bad forehand, but it is an obvious weakness in her armory that is starting to be exposed a little more. And I would assume, and you could tell me more about this, the more it's exposed, the maybe more it does become mental. I don't think, I think we've talked about this before, but I don't think the mental side is actually as important in this. It obviously is massive, but she has technical issues in her forehand. And if she didn't, she wouldn't have anything mentally to worry about. You just don't. That's the point of working yeah. on your technique is so that it's there when you're nervous, when you're panicking, when you're emotional, when you're not thinking, when you haven't slept, it's just there for you. Um, and it's not for her. And on her good days, her forehand is fantastic. Um, and on her bad days, it makes her lose. Ultimately, that's that's how it is. Um so it's very hard for her to maintain the consistency in the top 10 when she has that sort of fundamental problem. And you reference Sabalenka. Yeah, Sabalenka had technical issues in her serve and then she went away and she rebuilt it. Um, and when you have success young, you don't tend to rebuild these sorts of things. It becomes much more difficult, even though she is still so young, she's got plenty of time to rebuild it. But it's harder because... 
you know that your time to have rebuilt things was sort of through your teenage years that's the time when you when you can address it all um and because you're winning you just don't want to and you don't really get into the right mindset I mean I look at somebody like because you have to take a step back don't you if you're going to rebuild you've got to accept that it might get worse before it gets yeah, better and I think that it would be beneficial for her to do that um I do think that would be the right thing but I'm not like that is incredibly difficult I mean tennis players do not want to take time off tennis players barely want to have a holiday <laughs> just unless it's to the Maldives yeah. less it's the Maldives um <laughs> But, you know, somebody like Coco Goff is so driven and it's very difficult when you've been that successful at such a young age with that forehand. It's like the Ostapenko serve. I remember listening to uh, Martina Navratilova talk at the end of 2017 when Ostapenko had won the French at the end of that year at the tour finals. Um, Navratilova was saying she needs to rebuild the serve. And if you're Ostapenko, you're going, I just want to slam. Like, <laughs> I don't need a better serve. I just need to keep doing what I'm doing. But you know, Navratilova is right, but you can understand the situation with Rostopenko. You look at Alexander Zverev as well with his double faults on his serve. He has a technical issue there, but he was so good so young that he never really rebuilt it. So I think that you're less likely, just anecdotally, just viewing a player. These aren't facts. It's just what I sort of view is that you're less likely to really rebuild your technique if you've been very, very good, very young. I think it's much, I think mentally it's a difficult switch to make. Whereas if you've been Sabalenka, I think it's different. She was obviously very good, very young, but she wasn't a sensation as a teenager. Mm. Um, I think that uh, you're more likely to go, right, I need to sort this out and then do the work um, to do it. It's hard though, isn't it? It, it, it is because again, we talk about being in the spotlight and, but, but you don't believe the mental side is, is linked to it. You don't think that it will become more of a mental issue if it gets exposed more and more. You don't, do you think the two are linked or on this case, not so much? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, it's of, you're, you're going to feel mentally very vulnerable when you know you have a weakness. So it's always going to play on your mind. I don't think it's going to you know, I don't think she w- it would turn into like having the yips on her forehand. Remember, she had the yips on her serve not too long ago, only a couple of years ago, really. Um, it's a bit more difficult to get that on the forehand, although I have seen it and it is pretty horrifying to, to watch when people physically cannot swing their forehand and it the ball was like landing in front of them or it hitting the back fence. They absolutely can't swing that. That's not going to happen. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely a mental aspect, but the mental aspect is there because of the technical weakness. There's no point in treating the symptoms. You've got to treat the cause. Um, and I think that people just often just go, oh, it's in your head, it's in your head. And I think that that's really out of order on the player because, yeah, it's down to the player, but it's also down to the coach as well. Um, you know, you've got, to, you've got to sort it out. It's not going to get in your head. You know, like if you've got a great <laughs> shot, it's just, it's you're, you're just going to... You're just going to be delighted every time you get a chance to hit it, right? And um, I think that, yeah, that's that's what makes the difference. It's about how you feel about your shot. And you can't lie to yourself. You cannot convince yourself that you've got a great forehand when all of the evidence <laughs> points otherwise. Because you feel it. You, you feel those nerves. And as I say, all of that vulnerability. So she has a vulnerability. That's like loads of players do. Um, you know, look at the success that Sabalenka's had over the past, I mean, what, six months, nine months since she since she sorted out her serve. Um, it can be done. It, you don't need to be scared of it, but everybody's terrified of doing it. Someone who's loving life at the moment is Mira Andreeva, the 16-year-old Russian. She got those 
three huge wins against, was it Fernandez, Haddad Meyer and Magdalenet. Then she's on Tennis Channel doing interviews talking about how beautiful Andy Murray is. I mean, she's having the time of her life. She's <laughs> she's on tour. She's seeing sort of heroes walk past her. It's it, it's lovely to see that as well, isn't it? it that, that exuberance of youth, the coming out, they get it, and also the talent that she has as well. But I love those stories and I love seeing these these new characters, these new people come onto the scene and, and everything's new and everything's exciting. Yes, it may change, but, you know, the, the big smile and just for her just to be there, getting those results. And then she lost to Sabalenka, but she said, I've got nothing to lose. I, I'm just here enjoying myself. I think she's having a whale of a time. She had a great, time. great interview, as you say, on the tennis channel. She seemed delighted to be there. <laughs> and um, yeah, look, I've seen a bunch of her play in the juniors. Um, she played against, I was actually talking to my my brother about her recently, well, this week, because of what oh, she's been okay. doing. <laughs> because, yeah. Um, uh, she played against um, you know my brother's players in in juniors a number of times, and yeah. obviously she was very very good. And you look at somebody like that, and you sort of go, look, she's guaranteed to be top fifty. It's just it's just guaranteed. It doesn't matter yeah. how much people try to mess it up, she's going to do it in spite of it. But then you, <laughs> it's always interesting trying to consider the ceiling because you never know how people are going to develop, how they're going to soak up information, how quickly they're going to move. And boy, has she improved quickly, and uh, you know really just got on and done it. You know, seen the level and just gone okay well I can do that and and she's she's gone to do it so I think with that attitude she's uh yeah she's on for a, a, a pretty hefty ceiling there so um really excited to see but yeah she's great yeah as you say there's a long way to go and I was speaking to some footballers that you lose between the ages of well the development squad and, and a possible first team place at a club you know that's sort of 16 to 18 whether it's a growth thing a mental thing they just don't want to play football anymore that it's you lose so many players and you can't yes you can look at a talent and say they're amazing but you don't quite know where that ceiling is yet but I just like to see the smile I like to see the way she plays I like that she's having fun that she's out there you know it's uh, yeah, the exuberance of youth and someone else I just want to give a quick mention to is Holger Rune <laughs> I just I oh, really Holger. I, <laughs> I'm really warming to him because I think he's the character that the men's game needs so much talent so many wonderful rivalries but he is just he's that one that can just can poke the back of your Achilles heel he'll sort of scratch your Achilles heel and say have I annoyed you yet and he'll do that to the public he'll do that to his family and he'll do that to his opponents oh yeah big fan big fan of him and uh you know I I think yeah look he is still young and sometimes he can cross the line a little bit and you're like okay it's a little bit a little bit whiny (laughs) a little bit bratty but um in general I I think he's fantastic and I agree you need to have different characters and that's that's what it's all about and we talked about this last time the potential of that three at the top yeah Sinna Alcaraz and and Runa so reflective of Federer, Nadal and Djokovic in terms of the personalities and yeah Djokovic has taken Runa under his wing and I think Runa's gonna try and embrace it because it's a natural part of his character I think he likes the combative sort of mindset when he's on the court I think that's how he gets the best out of himself you know somebody like Andy Murray he likes to be combative on the court as well but he tends to be combative with himself and with his box nobody else Whereas Runa is just directing it at the other end of the court to the crowd to the Everyone. umpire, which is which is fine. I, I don't think there's really any difference. It's just people's reaction might be a bit different. But ultimately, um, he likes to be combative 
uh, with his mentality to get the best out of himself, just like an Andy Murray, just like loads of players. And that's how he channels it. So I think great. I mean, how entertaining. You're sitting down for a Holgaruna match. You're going to oh, yeah. go, right, yeah. here's the show. Let's go. Boy, is he a confident young man. I mean, he's just got all the ingredients. And then Medvedev still being Medvedev. He had a little go with the crowd recently. So I just, oh, I think it's exciting. The characters we've got on the women's side. I think the mix we've got in there and the rivalries that are going to come through there. I think, I know we were, maybe weren't, per- not everyone was worried, but there was a period of what is going to happen when we lose these big guys and we haven't, and girls. We haven't lost all of them yet. But I just think tennis is maybe it's a transition period and it will lose some fans, but I think it's exciting. I think the storylines, I think everything, I think it's building up to be a lot of, I'm not going to ask for your Roland Garros predictions yet. Um, I did them last time. It's fine. Did you? So who'd you say? Shvante and Nadal? Did you? No, it's not going to be Nadal. (laughs) It probably is. Nadal. Do you give it to Alcaraz? Um, No, uh, Djokovic. Djokovic. And And Shvante. (laughs) Shvante. Okay, I'm going to have to... They weren't serious predictions, okay? Oh, oh, oh. Oh, right. So you're saying you want to have another crack at it once we've got the draw? Yeah. Well, I think that's only fair. Well, I don't know. If if you'd got... uh, Oh, now you're only joking. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah, I'm... I've suddenly become very confused uh, because we've now got Madrid is longer, isn't it? And Rome's going to be longer, and I feel yeah, you a get lot a more... real like, what day is it? Like, it's, yeah, it's, we're so and, and, used to the Monday to Sunday schedule. I know, and then the bigger clashes are kind of happening a little bit later. That's something else to get used to because yeah. you know normally those those big meetings they're just happening a little bit further in. And then, as I say, with with Naomi here working, I was like, what round are you on? Where are we? So it's just, um, I, I know this is probably a discussion for another pod. The good and bad. Do we like these longer tournaments? I love it because there's more tennis. I can see the pros and cons from people looking at it and some people won't benefit from it some people do but it's just a lot of tennis so yes I've had to work out and also it's bank holiday in the UK so Madrid's longer it's bank holiday so I currently don't know what day to put my bins out and that is is I live my week when I'm at home by what day the bins go out because I know what day it is I because Madrid was longer and we had a bank holiday and we've got another one because we've got the coronation of the yeah, king back to back and and i live in a place where lots of royal stuff happens so i'm a little bit at sea with what's going on so okay next week's pod i'll give you some coronation stuff how about that is that <laughs> i is, live in a place where lots is, of royal stuff is happens. that worth tuning in for next week to hear some coronation stuff <laughs> yeah that'd be great okay. are you excited for the coronation well, uh i don't want to does it say bad to say no it doesn't it doesn't really have i'm not a, i mean i i'm not a big royalist they are here. Yeah, and I they think are... it's one to talk about because um, the the buzz is weirdly sort of quiet. I think I excited think. is a strong word. I think where I live, there's lots of stuff that's going to be happening. The boys' school are doing some bits and, and that's going to be really nice. And there's going to be some street parties and a chance to see your friends and have a picnic. So I'm, I'm excited about that. But uh, I wouldn't say I'm like, whoa, it's Coronation Week. But... I think it's going to be... You might have to park about five miles away from your house. Oh, you know what? On, I think, Thursday, I'm parking. I'm not moving the car. If anyone needs that, they're not <laughs> taking the car because we're going to be blocked in. But so I think it's like, I think if the weather's nice, I think it'll be a lovely weekend to get everyone together. I think from that point yeah. of view. It's, it's an excuse to celebrate. Exactly. Can't. And I'll, I'll have some coronation stuff for you for the pod next week. Perfect. Can't wait. All right, then. Have a nice week. Bye. Have a coronation. Thank you. Ha, ha, ha.